You are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, head on over to Facebook, and there you'll be able to share your own thoughts and insights with others who are listening and following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example and holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 241, and we are reading from volume 3, Book 6, Chapter 14, Paragraphs 529-536. to Chapter 14. The flight and dispersion of the apostles after the capture of their master. How his most blessed mother was aware of all that had happened and how she acted in consequence. The perdition of Judas and the worry of the demons over what they were obliged to experience. 529. After the seizure of our Savior Jesus Christ, his prophecy at the supper, that all of the apostles would be greatly scandalized in his person, Matthew twenty six thirty one, and that Satan would attack them in order to sift them like wheat, was fulfilled. For when they saw their divine master taken prisoner, and when they perceived that neither his meekness nor his words, so full of sweetness and power, nor his miracles nor his doctrine exemplified by such an unblameable life, could appease the envy of the priests and Pharisees. They fell into great trouble and affliction. Naturally, the fear of personal danger diminished their courage and confidence in the counsels of their master. And beginning to wander in their faith, each one became possessed with anxious thoughts as to how he could escape the threatening persecutions foreshadowed by what had happened to their captain and master. The apostles, availing themselves of the preoccupation of the soldiers and servants in binding and fettering the meek Lamb of God, betook themselves to flight unnoticed. Certainly their enemies, if they had been permitted by the author of life, would have captured all the apostles, especially if they had seen them fly like cowards or criminals. Matthew twenty six fifty six. But it was not proper that they should be taken and made to suffer at that time. This was clearly indicated as the will of the Lord when he said that if they sought him, they shall let his companions go free. These words had the force of a divine decree and were verified in the event. For the hatred of the priests and the Pharisees extended to the apostles and was deep enough to make them desire the death of all of them. That is the reason why the high priest Annas asked the divine master about his disciples and his doctrine. John 18, 8, 530. At the flight of the apostles, Lucifer, already troubled and vaguely perplexed, betook himself off hesitating between different projects of his redoubled malice. He certainly wished to see the doctrine of the Savior and all his disciples blotted out from the world, so that not even the memory of them be left. Hence, he would have been well satisfied if the Jews had imprisoned and killed them all. But he had no hope of easily attaining this wish, and therefore he busied himself in disquieting the apostles by various suggestions 
and inciting them to flight in order that they might not witness the patience and virtues of their master in his sufferings. The astute dragon feared that by this new proof of his doctrine and his living example of the apostles might be confirmed and fortified in their faith, and thus resist the temptations which he planned for them. Therefore it seemed to him that if he could weaken them now, he could more easily cause them to fall away entirely by subsequent persecutions, easily to be raised against them among the only two ready enemies of their master. Thus the demon deceived himself by his own malicious calculations. When, therefore, he saw the apostles filled with cowardly fear and much disturbed by the sorrow of their hearts, he rejoiced in their evil plight and considered it the best time to begin his temptations. He assailed them with rabid fury, filling them with strong doubts and suspicions against the master of life, and urging them to give him up and betake themselves to flight. They easily yielded to his suggestions of flight, but they resisted many of the doubts against faith. Although some failed more, some less, not all of the apostles being equally disturbed or scandalized. 531. They separated from each other, scattering in different directions, for it would have been difficult for all of them to hide as they wished if they remained together. Only St. Peter and St. John kept each other company to follow their God and Master and see the end of his misfortune. Matthew 26:58. But in the soul of each one of the eleven apostles raged a battle of sorrow and grief, which wrung their hearts and left them without consolation or the least rest. On the one side battled reason, grace, faith, love, and truth. On the other, temptation, suspicion, fear, cowardice, and sorrow. Reason and truth reproached them with their inconstancy and disloyalty and having forsaken their master by cowardly flying from danger, after having been warned of it, and after having offered themselves so shortly before to die for him if necessary. They remembered their disobedience in neglecting to pray and strengthen themselves against temptations as the Lord had commanded them. Their love for his sweet conversation and company, for his teaching and miraculous power, and their conviction that he was true God, urged them to return and seek him, and to offer themselves to danger and death like faithful servants and disciples. To all this was joined the memory of his most sweet mother, the considerations of her intense sorrow, and the desire to seek her and attend upon her in her trouble. But on the other hand was their timidity, exaggerating their fears of the Jews, their dread of death, of shame, and confusion. In regard to seeking the company of the sorrowful mother, they feared lest she would oblige them to return to their master, and lest they should be more easily found if they stayed with her in the same house. Dreadful above all were the impious and horrible suggestions of the demons, for the dragon filled them with harassing doubts, whether it would not be suicide to thus deliver themselves to a certain death, that if their master could not free himself, much less could he free them from the hands of the priests, that he would now certainly be put to death, and that therefore all ties between him and them were dissolved, since they would not see him any more, that although his life seemed to be blameless, yet he had taught some very hard doctrines, some of them unheard of until the time whence he had incurred the hatred of those learned in the law and of the priests, as well as the indignation of all the people." Moreover, it was a serious matter to follow a man who was to be condemned to an infamous and frightful death. 5.32 Such was the interior contention and strife in the hearts of the apostles. 
Satan, under cover of this excitement, continually sought to instill into their minds doubts concerning the teachings of Christ and concerning the prophecies that treated of the mysteries of his passion. As in their sad interior conflict, they failed to see the least assurance of seeing their master escape the hands of the priests alive. Their fears settled into a profound sorrow and melancholy, in which they decided to fly from the danger and save their own lives. And they were seized with such timidity and cowardice that during this night they felt nowhere safe, and every shadow or noise made them tremble with fear. The consideration of the treachery of Judas added still more to their fear, for as he had not been seen in the company of any of the eleven after his treacherous delivery of the Lord, they dreaded lest he should excite against them the hatred of the priests. St. Peter and St. John, being more fervent in their love of their master, made a greater show of resistance to fear into the demon, and that the two together resolved to follow their master at a distance. In taking this resolve, they relied much upon the acquaintances of St. John with the high priest Annas, who with Caiaphas alternated in the office of high priest. In that year it was held by Caiaphas, who in the meeting had given the prophetic counsel, asking whether one man had not better die in order that the whole world might not perish. John eighteen fifteen forty nine. This acquaintance had arisen from the fact that St. John was esteemed as a man, distinguished and of noble lineage, of affable and courteous manners, and amiable in person. Trusting to these favorable circumstances, the two apostles followed the Lord with less fear. The thought of their heavenly queen was deep in their hearts, and they reflected on her bitter sorrow and desired to bring relief and console her if possible. In this pious and loving desire, especially St. John excelled all the others. 5.33 The heavenly princess from the Seneca clearly understood and saw all, not only her most holy son in captivity and suffering, but all that happened inwardly and outwardly to the apostles. She observed their tribulation and temptations, their thoughts and resolves, where each one was and what he did. But although all was known to the most gentle dove, she allowed herself no feeling of indignation against the apostles, nor did she ever in the least reproach them for their disloyalty. On the contrary, she was the one who was principally instrumental in restoring them to a better mind, as I shall show later on in paragraphs 746 and 747. From that hour on, she commenced to pray for them. In sweetest charity and with the compassion of a mother, she interiorly addressed them. O ye simple sheep chosen by the Lord, do ye forsake your most loving pastor who cares for you and feeds you on the pastures of eternal life? Why, being disciples of such a truthful doctrine, do you leave your benefactor and master? How can you forget the sweet and loving intercourse which so attracted your hearts? Why do you listen to the master of lies and follow the ravenous wolf who seeks your ruin? O most patient and sweetest Lord, how meek and kind and merciful does the love of men make thee! Extend thy gentle love to this little flock, which is now troubled and dispersed by the fury of the serpent. Do not deliver over to the beasts those souls who have confessed thy name. Psalm 73.19 Great hopes hast thou set in those whom thou hast chosen as thy servants, and through whom thou hast already accomplished great things. Let not such graces be in vain, nor reject those whom thou hast freely chosen for the foundation of the church. Let not Lucifer glory in having beneath thy very eyes vanquished the best of the family and household. My son and Lord, look upon thy beloved disciples, John, Peter, and James. So much favored by thy love and goodwill, turn an eye of clemency also upon the rest. Crush the pride of the dragon, which now pursues them with implacable fury. 
534. And all that Most Holy Mary did on this occasion, and in the pleasure she caused the Almighty by her holiness, she exceeded in grandeur all that was ever possible in men and angels. Over and above the sensible and spiritual sorrows caused by the torments of her divine Son, and the affronts perpetrated against his divine person, for which the Blessed Mother entertained the highest veneration attainable by a creature. She was overwhelmed with the sorrow caused by the fall of the apostles, the greatness of which she alone could properly estimate. She was obliged to witness their weakness and forgetfulness in the face of his divine favors, his doctrines and exhortations, and in so short a time, after the Last Supper, when he had warned them so lovingly, given them holy communion, and elevated them to such a high dignity as the priesthood. She saw also the danger of their falling into even greater sins on account of the astute and furious attacks of Lucifer and his demons, and on account of the heedlessness of the apostles and their greater or less confusion and fear. Yet notwithstanding this great sea of sorrow, she multiplied and intensified her petitions in order to merit for them sufficient assistance and speedy pardon from her son, so that they might again return to the faith and to his friendship and grace. She alone was the powerful and efficacious instrument of these results. During these hours, the great lady united with herself all the faith, all the holiness, all the worship and divine cult of the church, for in her was preserved and enclosed as in the living an incorruptible ark, and as in the temple and sanctuary the evangelical law and sacrifice. She, by herself alone then, constituted the entire church, because she alone preserved full faith, hope, and love, complete worship and adoration of the great object of our faith not only supplying her full share for herself, but for the apostles and for the whole human race. She, it was, who compensated as far as was possible to a creature for the deficiencies and faults in the rest of the mystical members of the church. She performed heroic acts of faith, hope, and love toward her son and true God. She venerated and adored him by her prostrations and genuflections. She blessed him with wonderful songs of praise, not allowing her deep and bitter sorrow to interfere with the beautiful and harmonious disposition and the full operation of all her faculties as preordained by the Almighty. When Ecclesiasticus says of music that it is opportune in time of sorrow, 22.6, does not apply to her, for only the Blessed Mary was able and knew how to augment the beautiful harmony of virtues in the mind of sorrow. 5.35 Leaving the twelve apostles in the sad state above mentioned, I now proceed to relate the most unhappy end of the traitor Judas, somewhat anticipating the course of events in order to have done with his lamentable and unfortunate lot, and continued the narrative of the Passion. With the band that had taken the Lord prisoner, the sacrilegious disciple arrived at the house of the high priest, that of Annas first, and that of the Caiaphas, who with the scribes and Pharisees were awaiting results. When the perfidious disciple saw his divine master overwhelmed with blasphemies and injuries, and how he suffered all with such admirable silence, meekness, and patience, he began to reflect upon his own treachery, and that it alone caused such cruel injustice to be heaped upon an innocent man and his benefactor. He recalled the miracles he had witnessed, the doctrines he had heard, and the benefits enjoyed at his hands, and he remembered the kindness and meekness of the Most Holy Mary, the charity with which she had solicited his conversion, and the malice with which he had offended the son and the mother for such insignificant gain. All the sins he had committed piled themselves up before his interior gaze like a dark and chaotic impenetrable mountain. 536. As I have stated above, Judas was forsaken by divine grace at the time when he consummated his treachery by his perfidious kiss and by his contact with Christ our Savior. 
according to the hidden judgments of the Most High, although he was now left to his own counsels, the divine justice and equity ingrained in the natural reason permitted these reflections to arise and to be supplemented by many suggestions of Lucifer, who possessed him. But though Judas thus reasoned correctly in these matters, it was the devil who awakened these truths and added many other false and deceitful suggestions, in order to deduct from them not the salutary hope of remedy, but to convince him of the impossibility of repairing the damage and to lead him to the despair to which he at last yielded. Lucifer roused in him a keen sorrow for his misdeeds, not, however, for a good purpose, nor founded upon having offended the divine truth, but upon his disgrace among men and upon the fear of retribution from his master, whom he knew to be miraculously powerful, and one whom he would be able to escape nowhere in the whole world. Everywhere the blood of the just one would forever cry for vengeance against him. Filled with these thoughts and others aroused by the demon, he was involved in confusion, darkness, and rabid rage against himself. Fleeing from all human beings, he essayed to throw himself from the highest roof of the priest's house, without being able to execute his designs. Gnawing like a wild beast at the flesh of his arms and hands, striking fearful blows at his head, tearing out his hair and raving in his talk, he rushed away and showered maledictions and execrations upon himself, as the most unfortunate and miserable of men. This concludes our reading today for day number 241. We've been reading from Volume 3, Book 6, Chapter 14, Paragraphs 529 to 536. I think one of the very first things to point out today is to know that if you're a believer in the Lord, that there are going to be people who hate you because of that. And even in our reading today, we heard that the priests and the Pharisees extended their hatred even to the apostles and desired their death. And so for us as believers, we will have that experience of individuals who do not like us because of what we believe in. Satan also tried to make these apostles doubt. We heard Satan, under cover of this excitement, continually sought to instill into their minds doubts concerning the teachings of Christ and concerning the prophecies that treated of the mysteries of the Passion. And so now there's doubts that are arising in their mind because the evil one is putting them there. Is he really the Son of God? Does that sound something like the garden? Did God really tell you not to eat from the tree? So the evil one plants these doubts then because... He wants us to not be as close to the Lord as we can and should and want to be. But Our Lady, she still is loving the apostles. She's praying for them. How persistent of a mother that she prays for these apostles. And I can't wait till paragraph 746 and 747 when we're going to hear how she was the principal one in restoring them to a better mind. And that's what we're going to learn later. And then we hear how Jesus undergoes all of this. He suffered all with such admirable silence, meekness, and patience. Silence, meekness, and patience. We all experience suffering, and I experience it just like you do, and sometimes it's hard to be silent. I want to tell everybody about the suffering I'm experiencing. It's hard to do it with meekness and patience. I just want this suffering to be over with. 
But there's a lesson here that Jesus is teaching us how to endure these things. Silence, meekness, and patience. It's the key for our suffering in our own life. That as we suffer, we know that we do so in imitation of Jesus, who suffered for us. I'm Father Edward Learning, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.